Before you see to give someone a fist bump and say, go Chiefs. Big day for our Chiefs today. You'll see prayer cards laid across the stage this morning. We ask anyone in the 8 o'clock service who had someone say anything other than go Chiefs, but especially if they said go Bills, to write their name down and bring it to the stage so we could pray for them. Um, that God would help them repent and cheer for the chiefs. Just kidding, these are from prayer week. Uh, but man, we're really glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, we're in Acts chapter two. We're in a new series, third week, called Consecrate, um, where we are trying to learn how to devote our lives to the mission of Jesus. So if you look up the word consecrate in the dictionary, you're gonna see two definitions, to declare something sacred or to dedicate yourself to a divine purpose. We are both declaring that the mission of God for his people is sacred, and we're saying as a church in 2024, we want to be more dedicated to it this year than we were last year. I hope that's your goal. I hope one of the reasons you're sitting in church today is because you have made the conscious decision to try to be better spiritually in 2024 than you were in 2023. In this series, as we've kind of opened up the book of Acts that we'll be studying for two years, um, we learned that following Jesus leads you to fulfill the mission. If you follow Jesus well, you will, uh, you will fulfill the mission of Jesus impactfully. You can't do one without the other. And in the first week of the series, we learned the heart behind the mission, the power behind the mission, um, the motivation behind the mission. Last week, we used some tools that we need on the mission to kind of walk with Jesus. We learned about prayer. We learned about scripture. We learned about repentance. We learned about humble service. We said if we will just be faithful that God over time would help us to be fruitful. Like if we would just humbly spend time in prayer, the word, keep running to Jesus, not away from him, that over time, if we'd be faithful, we'd be fruitful. And today you're actually gonna get a two in one. You're gonna get two messages in one message. Some of you are thinking, oh no, how long is that gonna take? It'll be like a regular timed message, but I'm gonna kind of give you the secret sauce behind the message. Um, when I disciple someone through learning how to read their Bible or when I lead a men's group, I had several men's groups last year reading through the Bible together. We always read it the same way. As we read the Bible, I ask no matter what passage of scripture we're in, the men that I'm leading to look for four words that all begin with the, with, with the letter I. Um, every time you read a page of scripture, there should, be, there should be some information you're trying to find out. There should be some inspiration where you say, wow, God, that was cool. Uh, there should be some illumination, which means there's something on that page that's important for my life today. And then there should be some incarnation or where the message and the mission and the gospel of Jesus come to life. So I ask men when I'm reading the Bible with them, every day that they read to write those words in their journal, information, inspiration, illumination, incarnation, and just kind of fill out where one or four of those things happen. I tell you that today for this reason. As I got into Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I tried to figure out how to teach it to you today, I thought, I have to teach them the information behind the text um, or they won't get it. But my heart is always to teach you the illumination, um, what the text means for you and your faith walk. And once I got two of the eyes, I thought, man, I might as well teach them all four and show the people how I'm teaching them. So today's a two for one. You might learn how to study the Bible while we together learn Acts chapter two. As we dig into the text today, here's what we're going to read. Acts two verses one through 12 is going to say this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divided his tongue, and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from, under, uh, from every nation under heaven. That's hyperbole, but there were a lot of them. 
Verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, which was a different language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to each other, like, what's going on? What does this mean? Somebody say just like that. Okay, so now the rest of the somebody say just like that. Here's what you need to understand. Just like that. In 12 verses, and in maybe 60 minutes of real time, just like that, the movement of Jesus has gone from 120 people in one room of a house to a global movement. Just like that. Like in 12 verses of scripture, in probably no more than 60, one hour of real time, just like that, this whole Jesus movement went from 120 people in one room in one house, really all of one culture in one language, to a global movement in the most important parts of the three most populated continents on planet Earth. Just like that, 12 verses, one hour, everything changes in the mission of Jesus' church to his birth. You could say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 1 are all about Jesus and his teaching and preparation of his people for the mission of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, that mission, the gun goes off and his people begin to run. As we look at this text today, there's so much that we can learn, but we learn more if we know the information, inspiration, illumination, and incarnation. So let's just start, number one, with the information. What are we going to learn from this text? Here, here would be the, word, the question behind information is, what should we know that we just read that will help us see this text clearly? And there's one big thing, which you may not be a Jewish historian, but you have to know to know the text. You have to know a little bit about the day of Pentecost, uh, because it was the day of Pentecost, now, the Old Testament calls this the Feast of Weeks. It calls, us, calls it the Feast of Harvest. Today on the Hebrew calendar, it's called Shavuot. Um, it will happen on sundown June 11th through the end of the day on June 13th. You can actually celebrate this holiday real time today with your Jewish friends. One of three major Jewish holidays that every Jewish family was supposed to celebrate every year, the day of Pentecost. But when you understand the day of Pentecost, you understand way more about what we just read and why it's important. One, it gives us a timeline. Knowing that it was the day of Pentecost and knowing a little bit of the Jesus story says, oh, okay, now I'm aware of the timeline of Scripture. Um, knowing that it's the day of Pentecost means it's 50 days after the resurrection and 10 days after the ascension. Because we know that Passover was celebrated and counted from the Sabbath um, that happened right after the Passover, which would, or the Sunday after the Sabbath of Passover week. And we know they would count seven weeks from that, and then on the next day, the 50th day, they would celebrate Pentecost. So we know this is 50 days after Jesus is raised from the dead, because he raised from the dead the first Sunday after Passover. We also know this is 10 days after the ascension, because we read that Jesus, after his resurrection, walked and taught and, and preached and uh, was teaching and spending time with his disciples for 40 days until he was taken up, which tells us that Jesus, when he was taken up, said, go wait and pray until the Holy Spirit falls, which means this group of people had been praying for 10 days. Non-stop, maybe not non-stop, maybe getting meals, maybe one of them got meals for everyone else. Like, we know a lot more. When we understand the information about the day of Pentecost and the calendar, we understand a lot more about this. 
Some of you have just come through um, our week of prayer that kicked off our 21 days of prayer. Some of you haven't started yet because so early in the morning. You're like, that's just not my thing. I hope that you will, at least when you leave today, grab one of these prayer journals off the table in the Connection Center and go through the next 14 because 10 days of prayer will be powerful in your life. And today's day of prayer, day eight, has an incredible devotional written by Pastor Jay, our worship pastor, about how being a father to his son has taught him about the heart of Father God and how he's learned to be a better son to God. Every day for the next 14 days, you get about three paragraphs written by one of our ministry team members out of Psalm 139. It'll just help you pray. If you just keep this in your car, it'll take you three minutes before you go into work to spend the next 14 days praying, 10 days of prayer. Man, shook heaven loose of the Holy Spirit who invaded planet Earth on the day of Pentecost. So knowing some information about Pentecost gives us a timeline. It also gives us a picture, an awesome picture spiritually, if you know the information. So one of the things you need to know about the day of Pentecost and the picture of it is it was a, it was a festival that really was bracketed by the offering of the first fruits, and it became a celebration about a supernatural encounter of God coming down. You say, how did this work? Let me give you a picture, and I'll, I'll make it a Midwestern farm instead of an Israeli farm, but I'll tell you what's going on. So um, the day after Passover ended, the barley harvest was just beginning to get ripe in Israel uh, because most of us don't harvest barley or even know what that looks like driving by it in the field. We'll call it a cornfield. Usually the first sheaf of ripe barley right around Passover was just becoming ripe where they could get ready and go work the harvest for the next six or seven weeks. So right after Passover, they would do their first fruit offering. They would literally take, I'll make it Midwestern, the first ear of corn on the first stalk of corn that was ripe. They would take that one, even though the rest of the field wasn't ready, and they would give that as an offering saying, God, you have proven yet again because the first one is ripe, the rest of them are coming. So I'm going to give this one to you because I trust what I can see and I trust what I know is coming. That was the first fruit of the offering right after Passover. Seven weeks later, not just the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest had come in, and they were ready to make their food. They'd harvested everything for the summer and the fall. They were ready now to eat. Before they would eat a meal for themselves, we learned that they would take two fresh loaves of bread, and they would give those as their first meal to God. And that first meal was saying, God, the barns are full. We're going to eat for a year. We're so grateful. The first meal goes to you because it is my sign saying, I know you've given me everything else I'll need after this one. So you get the first one. Those were the first for God. That's what the day of Pentecost was. There's going to be some things connected to Jesus about the first fruit offering. It also, for later Jews and today's Jews, is the festival where they celebrate God coming down to Sinai and giving his people Torah, the law, so that humanity could be connected to the God of heaven and God, the God of heaven could dwell in the center of humanity. So we see that Exodus and Acts kind of go together. In Exodus, the mountain where the people of God were was quaking. In Acts, the house where the people of God were was shaking. In Exodus, we read that a pillar of fire came down on the mountain Sinai. In Acts, we read that tongues of fire came down on everyone in the house. In Exodus, we read that the mountain was quaking with thunder. In Acts, we read that the house was shaking with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. This is Exodus and Acts played out. Uh, the festival of Pentecost was where they celebrated that God had a desire to live in the midst of humanity, so he came down. And it was on this holiday that God came down. So we see this wonderful picture, if we know the information, which then gives us a promise. And the promise, when we understand the holiday, is that Pentecost is all about what's more to come. 
Because the first corn is on the cob, we know the rest of them are coming. What happened on the day of the first, first fruit offering, when the first ripe corn came and we said, we've only got one, but it's a sign the rest are going to be coming? Jesus rose from the dead on that day. Paul said he was the first fruit. He was the first corn of cob that proved people live after they die. On the day that first fruit offering was given, it's like God gave his people resurrection power and said, look at Jesus. You can't see the rest of the field yet, but it's coming. This one's proof. And then 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would fall on the people of God in the church. And it was God saying, this is not just for these people. My people will eat for a lifetime with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is just the first meal of the Holy Spirit that my church is getting to fulfill my purposes. So when you know the information, this is, this is even a more eye-opening spiritual experience. I think there's also some information you should know because of where we are in the American church in 2024 about this thought of tongues and language. Uh, we'll obviously, as we study for two years in the book of Acts, we'll study way more about spiritual gifts, personal, private, um, how this was used. But in the context of Acts 2, it's just very, very clear. It's very, very simple. So we're going to stay here in Acts 2. The word for tongues in Acts chapter 2 is the word glossa. We get glossary from it. It means words. The word language is the Greek word dialectos. What do you think our English word for that is? Dialect is the English word. Literally what's happening when we look at the language here is that a global audience of Jews in Jerusalem heard the gospel of Jesus declared in their own language and in their own dialect at the exact same time. So they said y'all to the southerners and they said dude to those in California. Like it wasn't like just their language. It was like in their dialect, they're hearing the message of Jesus. That moves for me the text from information to inspiration. Inspiration is the thing you read about where you say, wow, God, that's incredible. I'm inspired by that. When we look at number two, inspiration, we see that literally God took 2,000 years of people who could not really communicate with each other about anything important, and in 15 minutes, they all heard the same message of Jesus, not just in their own language, but in their own drawl, their own dialect. I'm inspired when I see what God did. And just so I can make it very, very clear, you say, well, how do you know in Acts chapter 2 they were speaking languages? Because they we're actually told the languages that are spoken. Look at the gospel spread of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to give it to you in the names of countries. I'm then going to give it to you in regions of the countries. And then you'll see kind of an overlay of a map. They'll all be on the screen at the same time. But I want you to watch how literally the message of Jesus boomeranged almost all the known world in a period of 15 minutes. Where did the gospel spread? These people said, here's where we're from, and here's what we're hearing. We're from Parthia, heard in our language. We're from Media, heard in our language. Those are both, by the way, uh, east of Iran. We're from the Elamite area. We're from Mesopotamia. That's the area between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. We're from Judea. We're from Cappadocia. That's in modern-day Turkey. We're from Pontus. We're from Asia. We're from Phrygia, we're from Pamphylia, we're from Egypt, that's northern Africa, Libya, northern Africa, we're from Cyrene, northern Africa, we're from Rome, that's in Europe. We're Cretans, we're Arabs from Arabia. Literally in 15 minutes, I want you to see what has happened. The gospel of Jesus Christ spread to the most influential places on the continent of Europe, Asia, and Africa. In a moment, the church of Jesus Christ was not 120 people in a room in Jerusalem. It was a global movement. And it had people who knew about Jesus in the most influential cities in Europe, Rome, 
in the most influential parts of the Parthian Empire, which would have been all of Asia, in the most influential parts of the entire continent of Africa, northern Africa, where all the great libraries and study in history was. In a moment, God took this little message of Jesus and says, the whole world should know. That's inspirational to me. It's incredible. It is why we function the way we function as a church. You hear Pastor Ryan say today, every time we take the offering, we say we invest the first this year 16% you know, outside of our walls. A portion of that is to global missions. Do you know that every time you give in the offering here, just like Acts chapter 2, it goes to tell people in Europe about Jesus? Do you know that? Ministry partners in Scotland, ministry partners in Poland, ministry partners in Armenia. Every time you give in the offering, just like Acts chapter 2, it goes to help people in Europe hear about Jesus. Did you know that every time you give in the offering, this year we'll invest nearly a quarter million dollars in Zamudi, Uganda, that it goes to tell people in Africa about Jesus. We're gonna build a school this year. Over the next three years, we'll build schools, medical clinics, and churches, and and literally provide kind of resourceful living for people in this village so the whole community might revolve around the school and the medical clinic, the hospital, and the church that we will build. Every time you give, do you know part of what you give? Just like Acts chapter two goes to help people in Africa know about Jesus. Do you know every time you give, part of that money goes to a city in northeastern Turkey where a Christian family's moved in, where they have identified in a place where more than a million people live for Christians, where they're going to just slowly begin to tell people who Jesus is? You say, why do we do that? Because Acts chapter 2 says that's what the church does. If one person's talking about Jesus, the whole world should hear about Jesus. One of the things I love about our church, which I think is pretty unique, is that our executive pastor, uh, Pastor Scott Courtney, who's over all of the stewardship and money of our church, is also our global missions director. I don't know another church where the guy who handles the money, his primary passion is global missions. I love that because he wants to make sure we spend as little money as we can on the organized church in America and as much money as we can telling the world about Jesus. We had a meeting this week like we do in January every year where I said, hey, I'd like to know, help me understand the 16% that we're giving, which this year will be more than a million dollars. Help me understand where that's going and what we're doing. So we had a meeting on Thursday for an hour where he just gave me this massive spreadsheet of every country, every missionary, every local uh, thing that we're supporting, all the people we're helping, every ministry partner locally, all the church plants we're helping in Georgia and Denver and Nevada and all of these places. And I got to the end of it and I turned around the spreadsheet he'd given me and I said, Scott, there are not very many days um, that I think it's worth uh, doing what we do to lead a church our size. But when I see this, I'm in all day, every day. If this is what our church does, if our church does this globally, if our church does this Acts 2 stuff, that because we exist, the whole world gets to hear about Jesus, I'm in all day long. Let's keep doing it, man. Like, I love being a part. I'm inspired by Acts chapter 2, not just by what God did, but by what God continues to do through his church, amen? You are a part of that. Just like these people, you are a part because you're a part of our church of every week sending the gospel to Europe and Africa in Asia, just like happened in Acts chapter two. That's exciting for the church. What about for you? What are you gonna learn? Number three, that's illumination. Illumination answers this question. What does this text tell me about my faith walk? Okay, I get, I get what I can learn about Jewish festivals. Cool, didn't know that. I get what I can learn about the spread of the church. That's, that's amazing, Um, What does this text tell me about my life right now? Let's read verses one through six again and then let's answer that question. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language." So illumination, what can I learn about my life for right now? Great question. Here's some things. When the Holy Spirit fills and fuels your life, people can see it. That's for you today. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and fills and fuels your life, it should be something that everyone who's around you can see. So do you give a good picture? Because if people know you're a Christian, they're gauging who Jesus is by your life. So one of the things I do at the beginning of every year um, because I, um, I need practical ways to do things. It's just the way I think. Um, I want people to see more of Jesus in me every year of my life than they did the year before. So I always, late December usually, I do a fruit inspection of my life. Uh, I go through the nine spiritual fruit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, and I say, hey, where last year were these not seen in me? And I usually pick three that I will intentionally work on because I want people to see them in me more this year than last year. 2024, my list is joy. I don't think I display that well. Uh, One of my list is peace. The people closest to you can tell you more about my anxiety than the closest to me can tell you more about my anxiety than my peace. And my third one is gentleness. And it's like the fifth year that it's made the list. So like you can pray for me because um, I'm still, still working on that one. Joy, peace, and gentleness. Um, I had a cool moment the other day with my, with my daughter, Casey. Uh, Casey's getting her degree at Spurgeon College, her undergraduate degree in Christian ministries, her master's degree in biblical counseling at the exact same time through a program they have. Part of learning how to be a counselor is you get to go to counseling. Apparently, part of what they do at counseling is they tell you how badly your mom and dad messed you up. So we've been having some conversations about her counseling and what she's learning about herself and, and what she's learning about me. And we had a good lunch on Friday. Um, and one of the things she touched it, that she wanted to talk to me about was the way she reacts to things in life now based on the way I parented her when she was young and the strength um, of some of my words um, and the strength of some of my redirections in her life. She said, I, um, that has impacted me deeply. And then she said this, but I can tell you're working on that. That meant a lot to me. Because I've been trying for five years. And it's like the first time in five years she said it. But I want people to see more of Jesus in me now than they did last year. I always want to show people Jesus by my life. Where's the illumination? When, when Jesus is in my life, people see it. Secondly, when Jesus is in my life, people hear it. Man, I think one of the things that's happened since 2020 is we have lost the ability to speak kindly to one another. There are a lot of Christians who speak and type and text and tweet in a way that just doesn't sound very much like the heart of Jesus. That's just the nicest way to say it. But it says that the crowd around them heard that God was doing something. I think Christians should be gracious in their speech. I think Christians should have a cleaner, holier, more righteous tongue than the world. The Bible says Christians should speak in ways that are admirable. The Bible says Christians shouldn't even open their mouth unless it's to build someone up spiritually. When people hear you speak, 
Do they think about Jesus? Do they think well of Jesus? Because when the Holy Spirit fills and fuels your life, your mouth begins to give testimony of that over and over and over again. And if we do a good job in those two areas, I think we have the ability to help people understand the gospel. When the Holy Spirit fills and fuels your life, people understand who Jesus is. The late Tim Keller, a few years ago on a podcast, said this about our knowledge of the gospel and others' knowledge of the gospel through us. He says, the role of the church in every generation is to show how the gospel is the only answer for the deepest needs of the culture that they serve. He said, the role of Christians is to look around at how people are trying to pursue things that only Jesus gives and to make sure they understand, hey, I see what you're trying to accomplish. Jesus can help you with that. Our role, like what's the illumination? The way I live should help people see Jesus. The way I speak should help people see Jesus. My conversations should see what people are looking for and help them understand how Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. Acts chapter two is not just our history. It is our story. It continues to be our story. When the Holy Spirit fills and fuels his people and his church, the community should see it, hear about it, understand who people are in Jesus. And then number four, my favorite part, we call this incarnation. The question of incarnation answers this question. Where can I see the gospel of Jesus Christ in the text? Where does what Jesus has done for me in the world come to life? Incarnation. Where does Jesus come to life in this text? I think two places. One, in verse two, we see the phrase, a mighty rushing wind. What we learn is that the Holy Spirit's presence that brought spiritual life and power was seen as a wind from heaven. It says, the sound as a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. A, a wind, a burst of air, a breath was sent from heaven that filled and fueled the early church. You say, how does that help us understand what Jesus does? You know, if you just start on the first page of the Bible and say, where did anything like this ever happen? You don't get beyond Genesis chapter 2 before you see a man named Adam, which, by the way, the name Adam just means man, you see this guy who's been created out of dirt and formed into a body laying on the ground, but he has no life in him. And it says that God leaned over him and he breathed into him the spiritual breath of heaven. Very much like Acts chapter 2, a breath from heaven. And it says this man came to life. When we read about God sending a mighty rushing wind, we're like, God brings dead things to life through Jesus we get just a few chapters later, just looking for this concept of a mighty wind. We see a man named Noah on an ark floating on top of a world that's been destroyed, something that was created to be perfect that became broken by sin. Everything was dead. And it said God looked down and remembered what he'd done and he was ready to recreate that which had been broken. And it said he sent a mighty wind upon the waters to dry the earth, to give it a second chance. When the wind of God blows into your life, it takes all the things that have been broken by sin, buried under a flood of sin and regret, and it like blows not just new life, but a second chance at new life on those things. If we're to continue into the next book, we see a group of Israelites enslaved in Egypt who don't know anything their entire life but running to slavery, running to the slave master. And in Exodus chapter 14, they're standing before the Red Sea with the army behind them. And they're like, we don't know what to do. The only direction we've ever run is to slavery, not from slavery. And it says in Exodus 15, 10, God sent a mighty 
wind from heaven to open the sea, to give them a path to freedom. When God's mighty wind blows, it gives us an opportunity to run towards spiritual freedom, not back into spiritual rebellion. You see how you can see Jesus there? You see what's happening? Every time God's mighty wind from heaven blows, it's to bring life, it's to restore life, it's to offer freedom, and that's what Jesus does. So I look into the text and the ministry of Jesus comes to life in my eyes. The wind of heaven has been given to me and it wants to fill me. This word filled in verse two and then again verse four tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit was not just around these early followers of Jesus, it was in them. It says in verse two, it filled the house. But then in verse four, it says, and then it filled the people. Here is some of your next steps spiritually. I can say this because this week I've been praying with hundreds of you here, more than a thousand between here and those who've been praying online. The prayer cards you see on the stage are prayer requests that were submitted every morning of prayer, left on the stage, and then someone would take these and pray for it during our hour of prayer and then lay them back on the stage. If you plan to pray the next 14 days, I'd love for you when you leave today to come take one of these, make it your bookmark and pray for it every day this week, and then next Sunday just come lay it down. If you have something you'd like somebody to pray for you about, before the end of the service, take that care card out of the back of your deal. You don't have to put your name and just say, here's my prayer request. Come lay it on the stage. Next service, somebody will pick it up and pray for it for the next week. The Spirit of God has been in the house, but it desires to be in you. Like you were not shaped spiritually to thrive just by being around the Spirit of God in the house. You were shaped to thrive spiritually by allowing the Spirit of God to fill you. And because of Jesus, that can happen. When that happens, a church becomes a movement. Not a new movement, but the old movement. People who've been raised up, not just to follow Jesus, but who've been raised up to follow Jesus in order to fulfill the mission. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet Ezekiel's in a vision standing before a valley of dried human bones, just lots of bones laying in the valley. God asked him, can they live? And Ezekiel's like, you're the only one who knows the answer to that. God says, tell them to come together. So he tells the bones to come together and there's this great rattling and bone comes together and like these skeletons form and then flesh forms on them and they're all laying there, but there's no wind from heaven in them yet. So God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they can live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in exceedingly great army. Our prayer for you and the ministry calendar we've set up for our church is that the breath of heaven would fill you so you can stand and follow Jesus and fulfill his mission. We're eight days now into this process. It culminates on days 18, 19, and 20 with what we're calling our revival nights. Wednesday night, January 31, Thursday night, and then Friday night. Two of our favorite speakers as a church, Clayton King will be in on Wednesday. Vance Pittman will be on on Friday. I'll be speaking on Thursday. Services at 6.30, extended worship, extended prayer time. Um, we've got snacks and fellowship afterwards. We're going to do salty snacks on Wednesday. We're going to do sweet snacks on Thursday. We're having a big pizza party, um, ordering thousands of pieces of pizza uh, on Friday. We've got childcare every night for anyone who needs it. For all the children under, under five, as you pick up your kids today, you can register them for childcare. We're asking our church 
to figure out where the wind of heaven is blowing and then to get in that wind tunnel and say, fill me. I'm asking you to change your schedule. So I got some things scheduled that day. I'm asking you to change. I was planning to be out of town. I'll go out of town another time. I'm asking you to stand in the wind from heaven and be filled this year so you can follow Jesus and you can fulfill his mission. I preached this sermon one other time at our church. Not quite like this, but this text. June 5th, 2011. Uh, We'd not yet started our church. We'd had five Bible studies that were on Wednesday nights in January and February. We'd had then five Bible studies on Sunday nights in April and May. We'd never met on a Sunday morning. Our 15 people had become, at the I think we had 76 people in May at one point. And we said, we're going to have a Sunday morning service to practice because in four months we're starting our church. The Harris Park Community Center, we had a Sunday morning service, June 5th, 2011. 98 people showed up. And I preached Acts chapter 2. And I said this to the people those days. I have no idea if our church is going to work. I hope it does, but we'll see. We don't have very many people. We don't have any money. We don't have a building, but we'll do our best. We'll see what happens. It's not a very motivational, inspirational message at the time. But here's what I said. According to Acts chapter 2, if our church works, here's what's going to happen. For us and for them, speaking of our community, if our church works, we will see God, we will hear from God, we will experience God in a way that we have not yet. And if that happens to us, others in our community will have the exact same thing happen to them. I don't know if it will work, but if it does, this is what it looks like and sounds like and does when it works. It's almost 13 years later, I have the exact same desire for our church, that you would see God, hear from God and understand God more deeply in 2024 than you ever have. And because you do, our community does too. Amen? Scott said to you during today's message that as you just consider it, you can turn into a prayer. Three reflection questions will be on the screen. After that, I'll come close us in prayer. But God, thank you that because of Jesus, we see, hear, and understand you so clearly. Help our lives to give that understanding to others as we reflect on these questions. Speak to us, and then allow us to speak back in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.